Welcome to Alessia's Divine Comedy, a journey through Dante's masterpiece, a read-along podcast hosted by me, Alessia Cesana Harris. This is episode 95, Paradiso, Canto Ventottesimo, the seventh day, early evening. This episode is brought to you by copious amounts of ice-cold water and agen dust, or at least I'd like to put it like that because the tubs are expensive and I love a press sample from time to time. It's the third day of the latest heat wave, otherwise known as summer. You guys just accept that the weather in Britain is hotter and sunnier than you had historically. It's only a heat wave to have mid-30s weather in other seasons, not the 9th of August. Feel free to pause the podcast if you need time to grieve the loss of your national running joke about not having a summer and hosting barbecues in the rain. Today is not only the feast of one of my favorite saints, Saint Teresa Benedict of the Cross, ne Edith Stein, but also the day that we enter the two county dedicated to the Primo Mobile, which means a lot of delightful metaphysics to keep you company while you are too lethargic to do anything. Since I'm also too lethargic to do anything, and in fact I've been trying almost in vain to keep migraine from blowing up fully all day, I should manage to put all of the intellectual stuff in terms worthy of a four dummies book. The canto begins with a description of a tiny point of light which makes the tiniest star look like the moon and yet is the most light you could ever see. But of course Dante can see and has to lower his gaze before he ends up blind again. Which would have been fun, to be honest. Anyway, this light is surrounded by nine circles, each larger and slower than the previous one. Although, if I understand it correctly, they are still faster than the one in which they are. Dante is, of course, doubtful, as always. And Patricia picks up on that and explains it is God and the spheres of the angels moving faster the closer they are to God. Dante asks about the models of the stars that has the earth at the centre and what the relation is between the model in heaven and its copy on earth. Then a better explanation sorry, uh, of the paradox between the material world we perceive and the reality of the angelic intelligences is almost word for word out of the metaphysics of Aristotle and revolves around the idea that everything hinges on the one dot that is God. To jump ahead to Kanti a little, as Barolini does, we are talking about a universe enclosed by that which it encloses. This model that Dante proposes is a sort of dual universe where you have the material universe we experience and then the spiritual universe, and one provides the organizational model for the other. It is, in a way, a paradox because human intellect cannot account for that supernatural reality. We haven't spent our entire existence as a species trying to make sense of the existence of God and the creation of everything out of nothing and how the creator cannot be created and how exactly did that happen for no reason. This poem is just one of many attempts to make sense of this, using the imagination taken to its limits, because it's already hard enough to make it work in this context to try and do so using philosophical discourse would be a mad idea. Perhaps this is actually one of the strengths of the Divine Comedy. It creates the setup to address what the rational mind cannot address because the imagination is not bound by logic. I had this discussion a lot with my husband who has claimed all his life not to understand Star Wars because it's not logical until I came along 
understood how his dyspraxic brain functions and then presented the internal logic of the universe that Lucas created to him in a way that made him enter into it in the way he entered the logic of our reality. I think this is the crowning achievement of three years wasted in overcrowded rooms of the University of Milan. But I do miss those days. Anyway, the point being that Dante can create the correspondence between the two universes without needing to collapse the physical into the metaphysical, which he wouldn't be able to do because if we could, we wouldn't still be having the same old discussions about the nature of reality and philosophers and theologians would be out of a job. Dante can do what he does here because he uses the world in a metaphorical way to bring home Beatrice's explanations that would be too abstract otherwise. Can we really establish the conceptual equivalence between the most worthy material heaven and the most worthy of the spiritual ones in our minds, leaving aside the appearances that are integral to our experience of the world? I think not, and I don't think Dante is really trying to make us do that either here, even if he is correcting his earlier positions in the convivium as he always does. I think in a way the nature of the, cor the corrections is precisely because he tried to do something impossible and therefore was led to wrong conclusions through his bad thinking. Barolini seems to think it's a problem that Beatrice fails to truly collapse the two universes, but to me it's consistent with the idea that the human mind cannot see the same picture that God's mind sees. Beatrice, who can look into God's minds, can explain things, but communication relies not only on what one says, but on what the other person conceptualizes from the words that they use. My old professor of philosophical anthropology used the example of a horse to explain the idea of an innate quality of being. If I say horse, your mind will picture a being that has an innate quality of being a horse. But all of us will be picturing something slightly different when it comes to its attributes. If you told me to picture a horse, what my mind would conjure is a blood bay. I guess I am subconsciously always thinking about trading my rat for hash blonde hair for reddish brown. Anyway, just because Beatrice explains something to us, it doesn't mean our mind can comprehend it fully, but it can comprehend it to a certain extent. And obviously, Dante being in heaven probably comprehended it a bit more than we do reading about it. But anyway, we can see how the biggest disguise, the Primo Mobile, not only contains the whole of the universe, but also the most loving wisdom of the skies. To be fair, I'm kind of confused by Dante's confusion, but he was obviously expecting some objections that he preemptively pushed on his younger self so that he could address them through Beatrice, and we are here to discuss the poem, not correct it. The point at the end is that the faster the sky, the closer to God, and the most of God's love is moving it. And this brings us to the final idea brought forth in this canto, the organization of the angels. The angels are too numerous to count, and organized in nine kinds. The first two shining spheres are the seraphims and cherubims, which rotate really fast because of how close they are to God's love. The third sphere is that to the thrones, which close the first hierarchy, whose joy is commensurable to the depth of their vision of the divine mind. The second hierarchy is made of three orders which single simultaneously in three distinct melodies, dominions, virtues and powers. And the seventh and eighth sphere correspond to the principalities and archangels, and lastly we have the angels. And all of those orders look up in adoration to God, but their influence is directed towards the earth down below. They're sort of attracted to God while attracting the world to themselves and the fourth to God through themselves. 
we are told explicitly that this was the order uh, written by Dionysus of the Aeropagite, who is presented here as having set himself to contemplation on these questions in a way so that we can infer he was probably divinely inspired in his understanding, and that St. Gregory the Great, who had written them in a different order, once he got to heaven had to laugh at himself when he realised his error. At the end of the day, the theme of this canto, as it will be the theme of the Nets, is that divine revelation must illuminate our understanding of things, and just relying on our own thinking can be a costly endeavour. In the case of Dante, the implication is that his quest for truth, separated from religion, was going to cost him his salvation, which is why he is on this crazy journey in the first place. We'll be back in the next episode with more on this topic. Bye bye! Thank you for listening to today's episode of Alessia's Divine Comedy, A Journey Through Dante's Masterpiece. Thank you also to Alexander Nakarada for the music, which is fun for 10 or adds if it was not meant as a Roman numeral, and is available in the public domain. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Alessia underscore Sheik or on my blog www.sheikandcatholic.com.